And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Stephen Nichols. He's president of Reformation Bible College, chief academic officer at Ligonier Ministries, and a Ligonier Teaching Fellow. Uh, Dr. Nichols, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Grateful for you to spend the time with me. You just wrote a new book, and uh, I just wanted to segue into that by noting that uh, we really live in kind of unsettling times. Mm-hmm. Um, the, yeah. uh, the the secularists are very vocal. The foundations that once gave our country kind of a strong stability are seemingly getting shaky. Uh, we see violence in cities. It, it seems to be on the rise, mm-hmm. and, and education has embraced more of a political indoctrination model, it seems. And uh, just on a simple level, many of our neighbors are no longer going to church on Sunday. There's there's gender confusion. So much more that we can mention. But um, your book, A Time for Confidence, Trusting God in a Post-Christian Society, uh, it's a wonderful title. And I'm wondering, uh, why did you choose the title? Well, you know, first of all, I think your analysis is right on target of this moment that we find ourselves in, and people use this expression, post-Christian, to get at that. There's a new barbarism uh, that we see that gives us pause and concern. There is a, uh, a much more pluralism in our day than, you know, previous generations faced in terms of religions next door. There are far fewer people going to church, and we seem to have lost our moral compass as a country, yeah. especially thinking in terms of an American context, the North American context. So there's the post-Christian. The question is, how do we as a Church respond, and how do we as Christians respond? And it's really easy in a, in a time where there's chaos and uncertainty, the ground is shifting beneath our feet, to think, uh, wow, this is a time to just sort of cower, go off in a cave maybe somewhere, and just wait it out. Uh, And there's others who say, you know, we liked our place in culture. I don't like being on the margins. Uh, I'm going to compromise so that I can fit in. And I want to come along and say, this is not a time to cower. This is not a time for compromise. This is a time for confidence. What we need to learn is that we need to put our confidence in the right thing, and that's what I'm trying to do in the book. Yeah, well... It's a wonderful book. I just barely started reading it, and uh, early in your book, uh, you explain how God's people often saw problems where God's prophets saw God and his promises. Uh, Kind of a contrast there. Um, Could you explain how that may relate to us today? Sure. First, I'll just give you a concrete example of this. We go to Isaiah chapter 40. Now, this was written to Israel. They were on the eve of exile when it was written historically, in the moment. Isaiah was prophesying not only to the exile to come, but he was prophesying past the exile, as it were, and prophesying now of the future return of Israel. But we can understand that at this point Israel's discouraged, they have been overrun by Nebuchadnezzar, and now Cyrus is in control. This is a huge empire, the Medo-Persian Empire. Cyrus was a ruthless king, so we can totally understand how people could be discouraged. 
And it's in this that Isaiah chapter 40 opens with this expression, comfort, oh, comfort my people. Amen. And at verse 9, Isaiah says this, behold, your God. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's the perspective that we need and that these prophetic books supply for us and the prophets give us. So here we are in our day, and we've gone through a very fascinating, tumultuous election cycle. We live in this moment in which you mentioned this sort of new barbarism, this sort of moral freefall, and we see, even now, we begin to see some signs of persecution, and it can be very easy for us, within all of this, to get discouraged and to adopt a... uh, an attitude, uh, a perspective that's discouraged in the world in which we live. Yeah. And what we and what we need to remember is this is the message of the prophet: "Behold your God." Amen. There's a little piece in your book. I thought it was kind of neat. Uh, you talked about, um, I think it was Chicken Little, and th- <laughs> this I, uh, I think many Christians can relate to this feeling that that the sky is falling. Um, uh, can you explain a little bit about that part of your book? Sure. You know, it's again, we're at, when there's this uncertainty and chaos, it can cause us to feel that and sense that in a palpable way. And we all know the story of Chicken Little, right? And Chicken Little was a rather excitable hen. <laughs> and when the acorn fell upon Chicken Little, this was the end. And, and running around, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. <laughs> And we can enter into that, uh, we can sort of get caught up in the moment. In fact, we tie this back uh, to the prophet's message. You know, if, if all we see is the horizon of our experience, uh, we can get discouraged, we, we can sort of even begin to lose hope and become faint of heart, right? Um, that's when we need to recognize who God is, that He is in control, and the sky is not falling, <laughs> that God is in control. And, you know, the other piece to this is, as we study history, we can gain some perspective. We, we see in the past. Uh, an example I bring this up in the book uh, is the Church Father Jerome. Now, when Rome was falling in the 410s and, you know, the barbarians, they were not at the gates. They were inside the city walls, and Rome was falling. Mm. Jerome just thought this was the end. You know, this is the end of civilization, this is the end of the Church. He could not conceive of how God can function without the Roman Empire. He had put his confidence in Rome. And when Rome was shaken, his confidence was shaken. And he pulled a chicken little, the sky is falling, (laughs) and he goes off into a cave outside of Bethlehem and spends the last year of his life living in a cave, and he dies in a cave. That's remarkable. Yeah, and, you know, and the lesson learned is empires come and go, uh, but God's kingdom is unshakable, and God is not dependent on these structures and what we see as what He needs in order to accomplish His will and His purpose. Mm. God will accomplish His purpose. We don't need to be chicken little. No. And and right after that section, you, you mentioned about um, it's the object that counts, and uh, yeah, our, we're, we're, we may be tempted to uh, say, "Oh, I got to muster up more faith. I got to do this. I got to do that." But uh, your advice is, I need to look to Christ and look to Him and learn of Him and follow Him and trust in Him. 
And it's the object that makes all the difference was your point there. I really appreciated that in the book. Um, as a church historian, you've studied a lot of church history. Um, some people might say, ah, oh, that's just old, dusty books, old history. Who cares? Um, but it's not true. How does church history help you consider the present moment? Well, it gives us perspective. You know, I mentioned that example of Jerome. We could go back to Polycarp, who's an early bishop. He's bishop of the church at Smyrna, which is fascinating, of course, because this is one of the churches, we're in the pages of the New Testament. This is this is one of the seven churches that gets a letter in the opening chapters of Revelation. And about the middle of the second century, Polycarp is bishop of this church, and this is a time of persecution, and he's a leader of the church, so he is sought out by the Romans to be made an example of. And they dispatch a group of soldiers, and they go after him, and they eventually catch up with Polycarp, and they bring him in and to the arena, and they, he's 86 years old, right? And they bring him into the arena, and they give him the opportunity to recant and go free. Mm. And this 86-year-old man says, Christ has been faithful to me my entire life. How could I turn my back on my Savior, mm. who's been so faithful to me? So there's the first example. So, you know, we see this of when, when really, you know, you're pushed into that corner. What is our faith all about? And we see example again and again in church history. But then what's interesting is this all gets written up as a text. It's the martyrdom of Polycarp. You can search this, find it online. I encourage people to go out and read this. And it tells the story. And at the end of his martyrdom, the author of the epistle of uh, Polycarp's martyrdom uh, writes in there, who is the governor and who are the proconsuls, and, you know, names them. Mm -hmm. And it says, and who was Caesar? And so you have this nice historical marker. But then the author says this, when Jesus Christ was ruling as the eternal king. <laughs> and it's, it's brilliant, right? <laughs> and the author is saying, look, you think Rome is the power, and you think Caesar's in control. It's not Caesar. It's Christ. Amen. Christ is ruling. And so here, you know, we just see examples like that again and again. There's a church history figure in the 4th century. This is after Christianity was legalized, after Constantine. This is Athanasius. He fought tooth and nail for the Orthodox doctrine of the deity of Christ. Mm -hmm. And when he died, he gave his whole life to fighting for this. And when he died, it was on his tombstone, Athanasius contra mundum, right, <laughs> against the world. And so we just see examples of folks who were bold and courageous, who had their confidence in Christ, and God used them, and used them as a witness. Um, so church history is full of those kinds of examples. And you know, in the end, what they do is they give us courage and encouragement, but they also just give us perspective. Mm. We're not the only ones who are dealing with these challenges. Yeah. Uh, you know, in America, we're kind of uh, primed to think in terms of winners and losers, and I want to win the ball game, <laughs> or I want to win that. And And somebody looking at Polycarp may say, Oh, what a loser. But he was really a winner in, in the mm. eternal sense of things. And and his loss was a, actually a great gain for the world and, and a great impetus. Um, and indeed, God is in control. I think of these terrible tragedies happening at the hands of ISIS. 
and our Christians, Christian brothers and sisters in the Lord getting their heads cut off, some even with a chainsaw, and yet, yet God is in control, isn't he? Um, is, it, is it proper to talk about the, um, um, the Lord as um, ordaining all things whatsoever come to pass, mm-hmm. even in yeah. a case like that? You know, this is this is one of those things where we need to recognize the sovereignty of God and the transcendence of God and the mystery of God's ways. But we have to come to grips with the idea that God is completely and totally and entirely sovereign yeah. over all of His creation. You know, I, I work at Ligonier, and uh, our founder here at Ligonier Ministries is R.C. Sproul, and he's sort of known for his book, The Holiness of God, oh, yeah. and he's also known for his book, Chosen by God. <laughs> right. And uh, he's known for stressing sovereignty of God. And R.C. has this great saying, uh, there are no maverick molecules. There is not one maverick molecule in the entire universe. Mm. And that's the perspective we have to have. Now, how does that mesh with our understanding of things? And how do we understand that? I mean, you know, we've got the psalmist who cries out, yeah. How long, O Lord? Amen. And we see suffering. We see Job. And, you know, what does Job... We get through the end. Here comes all his friends. Then comes God in the whirlwind. So we've <laughs> got to note that. He's going to have the final answer. He's the one... He's the only one who shows up in the book in a whirlwind. And when God finally speaks, Job says... I put my hand over my mouth. Amen. Right. Right. And and so it, you know it's, it's one of those doctrines that we we can affirm, but it's one of those doctrines that really is uh, crucial to understanding the Christian life and living it out is just absolutely essential. Mm. So, mm. And, and thank you for bringing it up. It's, you know, when you you mentioned our the object of our confidence. We flip it around. This is why we can have confidence in God mm. because He's sovereign. Yeah. If he wasn't sovereign, then I don't know what we would be putting our confidence in. Right, right, exactly. Um, I know bad things happen, but I know that um, God is holding me in his hands, even if temporarily I go through a terrible time. Um, <laughs> this life is short at best. You know, we just, we're like a flower. We bloom and we fade away the next day, as it were. There's something much more greater than this yet. Yet, yet. The balance there is sometimes people, I think, get eschatologically confused, and and they act like, um, uh, was it Jerome, and want to hide in a cave and say, you know, cave and say, oh, it's all <laughs> in a handbasket, you <laughs> know, and, and, and um, I just want to. I just want to hunker down and wait for Jesus to come. Well, the the people that did that a thousand years ago have been waiting for a while now, and certainly they're in heaven and they're happy. But um, I think God yeah. wants us to engage this world and and yeah. to um, implement the the Great Commission and and the Dominion Mandate, if you will. Yeah, you know you're absolutely right, and and it's easy. I can be sympathetic for this. Uh, idea and we do have the scriptural injunction. Even so, come quickly. Oh yeah. So we long, we long for the setting right of all things. But in the meantime, we have a job to do. Yeah. And and we can't just sort of sit on the sidelines because it's hard, or we can't just go into the cave because 
we don't get it. Uh, and this is one of the interesting things to me about our biblical hope. It's a living hope, and it's an active hope. Mm. You know, I was thinking of this even, um, I end the book with a chapter on hope, and I was thinking of this as you read through First John 3, and this wonderful promise, you know, that we shall be like him, that when he appears, we shall be like him. Amen. And what a great promise that is. But then, but then, very quickly, John says that whoever has this hope purifies himself, <laughs> even as he is pure. Yeah. And so he calls us to action. He never says, you know, sit on the sidelines and just wait. Isn't that going to be great when we have that beatific moment? <laughs> um he says, you've got work to do. You've got, you've got an obligation now of how you have to live in this world. And uh, I'm certainly, you know, we've got to recognize the world we live in, but we also have to recognize that we are called to contend for the faith. Mm. And that's what is called for. And, you know, we can't always pick. Uh, we can't always pick our circumstances and pick the moment in which we live. We have to be faithful where God puts us, mm. and uh, faithful disciples. Yeah. Uh, just opening the, the front cover here on, on, on the contents uh, page of your book, and uh, I just wanted to read the chapters. A, a time for confidence, um, confidence in God, confidence in the Bible, confidence in Christ, confidence in the gospel, and confidence in hope that you just mentioned. And uh, this book, um, I couldn't believe it. The other day, I got this big box because they knew that we were going to be talking together. And so we have a supply of these books that this week will make it available free of charge if you mention this interview with Dr. Nichols, and we'll send you a courtesy copy, A Time for Confidence, Trusting God in a Post-Christian Society by Dr. Stephen J. Nichols. Now, in the... um, when we got about eight minutes remaining or so, uh, one thing I wanted to ask you was this, and uh, and that is, uh, what is the, what might be the best way for for Christians now to to gain a greater confidence, to stand with conviction in this terribly rapidly changing world? I think that is a great question. It really is the sort of so what or the now what question for the book. I think two things. One is. It's maybe a time for us to do a little soul-searching, and especially as an American church, and ask us, ask ourselves, where have we been putting our confidence? Uh, one of the things that's a benefit of a post-Christian culture is a silver lining here, and it sort of shakes out those things, what we might call a cultural Christianity or a casual Christianity. And I think we've had a lot of assumptions mm. as the American church. And so in a post-Christian culture, that's sort of gone. You know, it's no longer just sort of, you're going to get ahead if you go to church. Right Now there's a, why are you going to church? I don't get that. Or being Christian sort of was a culturally, the norm. Now you're sort of from another planet, right, if you actually yeah. take that book seriously. So, so, you know, we put our trust in political processes. I remember as a kid, you know, whenever an athlete... A professional athlete or a celebrity became a Christian. This was a big deal. Yeah, it was. And we felt like, it, yeah, we felt like as a church, maybe we could sort of ride their coattails, you know, into cultural acceptance. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I think is this is maybe a time for some soul searching. 
what do we put our trust in? Then we come to what I'm trying to do in this book. You very graciously, they're just read through the uh, chapter titles. I, there's there's nothing really secret magic sauce here. Uh, it's just straight over the plate stuff. We need to get back to trusting and knowing, first of all, who God is, and not coming at this with our idea of who God is, but but letting God reveal Himself to us mm. in His Word, and and recognizing the God of Scripture and who He is. Mm. Um, so we got to come to grips with who God is, and that has to be the perspective that governs our lives. Yes. We've got to take the Bible seriously. You know, this is interesting. We, we live in an age where we're told, well, the social sciences are saying this about human uh, identity, and they're saying this about gender identity, and they're saying this about human sexuality. And essentially what you're saying is, in the 21st century, we know better about being human than the Bible. <laughs> and so now we can set the Bible aside, because it doesn't apply anymore, because we're smarter than the Bible. Mm. Okay, so, so that's wrong first of all. But the issue is, do we as Christians sort of subtly buy into that? Do we begin to wonder how sufficient Scripture is, or how authoritative Scripture is over our lives? Do we wonder, does it really work anymore? Uh, Those are attitudes we need to guard against and check at the door, Mm. and recognize that we have to submit to God's Word. The Word of God was not the wisdom for the first century. It was the wisdom for all ages, Mm. right? And it's the wisdom of the 21st century, and we have to submit to it. Yeah. And then we come to Christ, and who Christ is, and all that we see in Christ. You know, Paul says, I want to know him, the fellowship of his sufferings, and the power of his resurrection. You know, what does that mean? And how are we as Christians fully in Christ, and recognizing who Christ is, even, and then the gospel. Mm. Uh, so, so just I, I think again, it, it, there's no secret here. It's it's really just getting back to those basics and recognizing that if we put our confidence in God, who is faithful to us, in Scripture, which is true and trustworthy, in Christ, who is our sympathetic High Priest, mm. in the gospel, which is powerful enough to change lives. And in our hope, which is a sure and certain future, mm. then we can have confidence and courage to live in our moment. Uh, praise the Lord for that. Amen. Um, we, um, I'm picturing in my mind's eye, just just a picture, um, and we got maybe two minutes left, um, a young man living in Wayne, New Jersey, or California, Maryland, or Newburgh, New York, and he wants to get a good education. He realizes he's been kind of uh, basically marginalized or deprived of a good education, and he's heard about Reformation Bible College. Um, what what does a young man or young woman need to do to to go to Reformation Bible College? You know, first of all, we 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 would love to have this young man or woman come and stay with us. <laughs> uh, we think there is an urgency to the to this moment that we live in, and we think there's a uniqueness to what we are doing. We are very intentional. Our name says a lot about who we are. We are Reformation Bible College. We study the Bible. We believe that the Bible should govern our lives. And we also see in the Reformers a theology and a basis 
for which we can stand, and uh, not just a theology, but you know, think about what God did through the Reformers in the 16th century. I mean, here we are, 500, this is a 500th anniversary year yeah. of Luther's posting of the 95 Theses, and we as a Church are still beneficiaries of the work of the Reformers 500 years ago. Yeah. That's a legacy. And we look at how God brought the light of the gospel into the darkness of that moment, and we find ourselves in a new darkness, and we pray, God, you did it before, you can do it again. You can bring the light of the gospel into the darkness of this moment. That's what motivates us. That's why we exist at RBC, and that's in our name. So it's very easy uh, for students to find out about us, especially if they're up north, where, where most of your listeners are, uh, because we've got palm trees, and we're in Florida. So uh, you can find us <laughs> online at reformationbiblecollege.org. We'd be happy to have them come and visit us, and uh, we'd love for folks to check us out and see what we have to offer here in Sanford. We do believe what we do is urgent, and we do believe uh, that what we do here at the college is unique, and uh, we trust uh, that God will bring us those students, again, in His sovereignty, uh, that we can train, and we look to God to see what this next uh, Reformation is going to look like, mm. and, and how we all may be a part of that, and a part of God's glorious work. Amen. Well, today uh, I've been honored to talk with Dr. Stephen J. Nichols, President of Reformation Bible College, and uh, we talked about his new book, A Time for Confidence, Trusting God, in a post-Christian society, and uh, this book is um, actually available for the next week here at Redeemer, free of charge. If you've heard this broadcast and you request it, we'll send you a copy as long as our uh, supply lasts. And uh, Dr. Nichols, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, this has been my pleasure, and uh, God blessings on your uh, program and on your station. Thank you. And uh, dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. Let your kingdom come and your will be done right here on the earth like it is in heaven. Thy cross is lifted o'er us. We journey in its light We follow as you guide us Lead on, O God of mine